Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes to us from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 10 through 17. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praises from the end of the earth. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the deserts and its towns lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Salah sing for joy. Let them shout from the tops of mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes forth like a soldier, like a warrior. He stirs up his fury. He cries out. He shouts out aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. For a long time, I've held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and the hills and dry up their herbage. I, sh I will turn the rivers into islands. I will dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by the road they do not know, by paths they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I will do, and I will not forsake them. They shall be turned back and utterly put to shame. Those who trust in carved images. Those who say to cast images. You are our gods. This is the word of God for the people of God. Together we say... Thanks be to God. We are on the final week of our series about icons and idols. We've been exploring the ways various images of God can be misconstrued or misinterpreted. They become idols in our lives, painting for us a picture of a false god. And so we've been asking, what are the pitfalls of these images we all know and love and what are the redemptive qualities of these same images? How can these images be used to help us see a fuller picture of who God is rather than just some cartoon version that we've dreamed up? So without much ado as to the setup for this week, for this sermon, I want us to consider what we mean and what the scriptures mean when we ask God to fight for us, today, I want us to get to know the real warrior God, God as a warrior. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your words. May they always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. I haven't said this in a while. And so Brianna hadn't gotten on to me for it lately. But, you know, you can still do your affirmations, your verbal affirmations, where, where you can hit that heart button there if you're on the church online platform, or you can hit the wave or the emojis on the Facebook as a way of saying Amen. Or you just type Amen, you know? I need that response as we're going through this. But, you know, most things in life, they, they change fast, don't they? I am by no means a historian, but I do really like the History Channel. And I've seen all the episodes of VH1's I Love the 90s a lot of times. 
I find the story of humanity so fascinating. There are really few parts of our past that I'm not at least a little bit curious about. And part of my fascination stems from how interesting I find the rapidity at which things change, how fast things progress. There's very little about our life or about our way of life that has yet to change over the years. Some things change slowly over time. Other things change very quickly. And still some things used to change slow in small increments, but now they're changing very fast. Take music, for example. We all listen to different types of music, and maybe you have a preferred kind of music. But just think about how many years the lute and the lyre were prominent instruments in musical compositions, right? We read about lutes and lyres in the Bible, and we read about them in the accounts of the Middle Ages. The music written for the lute and the lyre, which are both stringed instruments, they dominated the billboard charts for something like 3,000 years. And I know there were no billboard charts then. Three millennia, these instruments were prominent. And we consider it all kind of one singular musical era. Historians call it the early music period. And then finally, around about 1600, we get the Baroque period. And Baroque music had a nice run. It lasts about 150 years, and then comes the classical period, which falls out of fashion after only about 70 years and leads into the romantic period, which lasts about another century or so. I mean, just think about that. A whole musical sound, a whole genre, could last decades, centuries, even millennia, and how different that is from the music that's produced today. I mean, think about just how fast our musical preferences change. I mean, we have 90s alternative, 90s R&B, and 90s country, like Pearl Jam, Boys to Men, and Garth Brooks, all three of my personal favorites, all of which sound distinctly different from the 2000s alternative, or R&B from the 2000s, or country from the early 2000s, like Blink-182, or Beyonce, or Keith Urban. Music now changes by decade or even less compared to when it used to change by century or even millennia. I mean, the same thing can be said um, for a lot of aspects about human life. The way we collect food, for example, and the type of food we eat, those things have drastically changed over the years, right? We went from gatherers to hunter-gatherers, to farmers, to large-scale farmers, refrigeration, and grocery stores. And now, we've, we did all that only to go back to the small-scale farm, farm-to-table food. Isn't that kind of ironic? We went from eating berries and fish to eating Twinkies and Hot Pockets. Those are not two of my personal favorites. Well, Hot Pockets are, but not Twinkies. But now we're all the way back to eating berries and fish. It's astonishing to think how quickly food and music have changed, and equally astonishing to realize that none of these changes have made them any less important. The last thing, or really the, 
all the things, the list of things that have changed about human civilization, it's a mile long. But there's something on this list that I would like for us to consider today. One aspect about the human happenings that like our appreciation of music and our desire to eat, it has remained constant throughout human history, but also had different iterations along the way. And that's our fascination with warriors or with fighters. You see, I think at times we try to intellectually distance ourselves from our Old Testament ancestors, from the ancient Israelites who lived in the bygone day, right? We think of them as they were tribal people. Life was so different for them. The way they thought, the way they acted, the way they behaved, it's so different from the way that we think, the way we act, and the way we behave now, right? However, though the expressions might be different, I think much of their reality and much of their way of life is all still true for humans today. They liked music. We like music. It's just different. They produced, gathered, and ate food. We produce, gather, and eat food. It's just different. They were wrapped up with notions of warriors and people who would fight. And so too are we. It's just a little bit different. You know, our Old Testament lesson this morning, it paints the picture of an ideal fighter, particularly how God was like the ultimate warrior, the person, the thing, the being, the God that would fight battles, the person who could win no matter what. You know, Israel, is a, as a nation, they, they would rally by describing, by describing the day when God would march out like a champion in front of the watching crowd. It's this crowd that shouts his name and sings his praises. Isaiah imagines a total victory. He expects the Lord to triumph over the enemies, lay waste to the mountains and the hills, and dry up all their vegetation. That this God will turn rivers into islands and dry up even the pools. And I'll be honest, we chose this text from Isaiah because it's one of the more mild representations of God as a warrior. But the image of God as a warrior is a thread throughout the Old Testament. And this warrior God is one that is particularly prone to enacting extreme violence throughout the books of Joshua and Judges and other places in the Old Testament. Judges is a book that we'll explore later in another series towards the end of this year. But God as a warrior, it is a very prominent image for the first 39 books of the Bible. And I think it's that way in part because the people themselves were enamored with the attractive qualities of a warrior. This is we still today are enamored with the attractive qualities of a warrior. We are drawn to the glory of what somebody like that can bring. Whereas the warriors of the ancient Near East, you know, they carried swords and spears. Ours brandished guns and bombs. Hand-to-hand combat used to be to the death in the gladiator ring. Now it's to submission or knockout or the end of five rounds in the MMA. Warriors used to fight for kings. Now we think of them as fighting for freedom. 
there are many people in our lives that we need to thank, that we are grateful for, for the ways in which they have sacrificed for us. And it is that type of prestige that attracts us to the qualities of people who are warriors. The expressions have changed, but our fascinations with the warriors is not dissimilar from our ancestors, which is why it's not surprising that we too seem to gravitate to the image of God as a warrior. A lot of us think of God as that mighty warrior who will fight our battles for us, who will be by our sides. Our picture of a warrior has changed, but our fundamental desire has not. We long for someone to come alongside us, or even in front of us, to be a champion who fights on our behalf. And we're most comforted when we know that our enemies will not endure God's wrath. When we can picture someone else inflicting it on them, whenever God can do the things to others that we cannot do. We like the idea of an angel army out there defeating the invisible demons that lurk in the unseen places, right? We're comforted to know that the people that are on the side of wrong, the people that aren't like us, they will experience the wrath of God. And it's that point, that specific point in particular, where I think the image of God as a warrior has the potential of shifting from icon to idol. I don't think the image of God as a warrior is one we have to dismiss out of hand. It's not one that's antiquated that we just can't have anymore. It can be iconic for us. But I do think, for many, it has become a corrupt image that traps us in an idolatrous God of our own making. It is the God that we want as opposed to the God that actually is. I wonder if if you've ever had trouble reconciling the warrior God of conquest, the one who smites our enemies on our behalf, with the Savior who said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for your persecutors. I mean, is there room in our minds for God to wage war against the groups and the peoples we don't like and also save them? Can we worship the God of the angel armies and the Prince of Peace? How is this warrior God the same that said that we should love our neighbors as ourselves? And when he was pressed about who our neighbors are, he told a story that made us realize that all of the world is our neighbor. Everyone should be loved. How can we love all the people on this earth and want God to smite them? How is there room for this warrior God who fights these battles against these groups of people that we just don't like? But at the same time, this God teaches us through his disciple Paul, if your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he is thirsty, give him something to eat. Have you ever had a hard time reconciling those two realities? I have. I I, I can't help but think, what does it mean for us to have a God who is a warrior and also the God of love and peace? I think, in particular, it comes down to what we expect our God to fight and who we expect God to fight and who God calls us to fight or what God calls us to fight right? When you look at Jesus, I hope you always see that he is fighting for you. 
And I hope that when we choose to run into the field behind our champion, we will be entirely clear about what we are fighting along his side. I hope you never get into any fight, especially a Facebook fight. Those are my least favorite kind of fights right now, right? Amen. Can I get an amen? Somebody hit that like button. Without first thinking about or remembering what Paul gave us in the book of Ephesians. You know, Paul was sitting in chains. He was guarded by Roman soldiers. You know, they should be his enemy when he's writing this. But he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Ephesians is the same book that tells us to put on the armor of God. And it's also the same book that tells us, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others. Get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all rage, anger, get rid of all brawling and slander along with every kind of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Both of those things are in the same book. The armor of God and this call to compassion and kindness. You'll know your champion, your warrior God, is the one true God and not an idol when you find yourself fighting the same battles as Jesus. If God is the warrior that you call on to bring down the fire and wrath on the people you don't like, that is an idol. If God, the warrior, for you is this, 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 this image, this being that has rallied you to do things that bring harm to other human beings, if you feel like your God empowers you to belittle others, or if your God compels you to do anything that spreads hate, if your God is the thing that makes you feel superior to anyone else, because of your beliefs, your social or financial status, your birthplace, your gender, your family name, or anything else about you. If that's who your warrior God is, that God is an idol. That is not the God that we read about in scripture. That is the warrior God often evoked as one who represents Christians all over this world. And that breaks my heart. But I don't think that is an authentic image of who God is, of who the God that I believe is our mighty warrior. I don't think that is an image of God that can be reconciled with the one Jesus offers us in the New Testament, the one even Paul tells us we should go into battle with. But like I said, we, we don't have to dismiss the warrior God entirely or at all. Jesus knows what he is fighting. Jesus knows who he is fighting, and it is not your neighbor. I mean, there are battles to be waged, but the enemy is not the person who looks different than us or practices a different religion than we do. The battle is not even against any person at all. The battle is against the powers and the principalities of this world. Those things that sometimes go unseen. They are battles against true wickedness, against evil, against injustice. The battle is very real, friends. 
And it's in every heart, including your own. The battle's not just out there, it's in here. And we can never win unless Christ fights it for us and within us and does this so that we can follow him into the right battle. And in those battles, that's when we need a warrior God to fight alongside. And in some cases, you know, carry the banner for us when we can't. We need a champion that will lead us against evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. When we wage war against the tyranny of racism, we need a warrior God to fight it with and for us. When we aim to strike down the oppression of income-based inequality, I want my God to swing the sword of justice right beside me. When we fight the battle against personal demons of addiction, depression, loneliness, doubt, or self-harm, I'm glad to know that my God, the true warrior God, is going to pick up the battle shield for me when I can't, and that God will win the battle on my behalf. I pray that you will know our God is a mighty warrior. But God is not a warrior who fights on the side of personal opinion, but one who wages the war for love and peace. May we be captivated by the vision of the day when victory is won and peace truly reigns everywhere on earth. And may we fight as hard as ever, even if it looks a little different than we thought. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.